Hey everybody, welcome to talking about mind, body, and spirit. Can you hear over Stevie Ray Vaughan? I hope so. Well, it's a beautiful night here in Endwell, New York. We're out of the deep freeze and talking about mind, body, and spirit. And boy, do I have a nice show for you tonight because I have one of my favorite people, Elizabeth Woodruff, fantastic social worker. They just let her out of jail last week. She's got a license back, so she's back in town, and I thought I'd uh, you know, see if I could get her on the show. I'm just teasing. But uh, if you're a, a new listener, you can hear the show on Anchor.com, Apple Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, which I like to call Breaker Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, and I guess slightly overcast with a chance of rain, Pocketcast, that was a joke folks, Podbean, Radio Public, and Stitcher. So in all serious, uh, in this, tonight we're going to have uh, Elizabeth Woodruff, social worker, we're going to talk about um, integrated medicine and some other things, what it's like to be a social worker, so stay tuned, okay? We'll be right back and I'm going to mic up. Man, I love this part, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, of miking up. This is like a podcasting term. I love it. And uh, let me get mic up here. Then we're going to get a guest on the phone and see if she's around. Hold on. We're going to mic up. Elizabeth, are you here? I'm here. Elizabeth is here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and I am not just out of jail. Oh, did I? Did I, I you didn't like that little joke then, huh? I'll have to edit that, right? <laughs> no, you're good. I um, It would be okay if I was, right? Actually, it would be. It would Better be great. on the outside than the inside. That's true. That's true. But no, I was. I think I mentioned that uh, that it was a little bit of a joke grenade, but I was going to clarify that anyway. Elizabeth <laughs> is not out of jail. Uh, she's actually going to jail. No, she's not going to jail next week. She's a wonderful and professional social worker and uh, somebody that I, you know, is, is just a very sweet person. And I, I just, you know, couldn't wait to get on the show. And she's being kind enough uh, to come on the show and uh, just kind of chat with us. And I hope she'll be back. So, uh, Elizabeth, in a serious way, welcome to Talking About Mind, Body, and Spirit. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. How are you? You know, I, you know a little bit about me, or you, you know me in, in some capacity. I'm doing just great. I've had just a wonderful day today. My niece is moving up to the area with wonderful. Uh, you know, and uh, with my great niece, and uh, you know, just talking to people from work that I haven't spoken to in a while, and the podcasts awesome. are being a lot of fun, and meeting a lot of new people. Uh, doing podcasting and just other things. So it's really going great. And I was really awesome. looking forward to this. I was great, really looking forward me to too. This. Yes. So you've never done a podcast before, am I correct? I have not, no. Do you ever listen to them? I never listen to I podcasts. I listen to podcasts all the time. I love them. I actually had a coworker who um, had sent out a mass email about a really good podcast. So after that, I was like, you know, i got to check some of these podcasts out. Uh-huh. So I'm listening to podcasts almost every day. I love them. Well, I'm glad that you do, and they're really amazing, and I'll yeah. tell you the truth. Well, now that you're on this one, you're really starting at the bottom of the barrel, so everything is uh, 
You know, it goes up from here. We're only going up from here. I that, like it. That's yes. it. It's a, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, I know you have some serious things to talk about uh, today, but uh, I love interviewing people and I love interviewing uh, interesting people. And just in case you don't know, uh, you know, that's really the purpose of the show. There's, it's not, you know, this isn't like a shock. Uh, this isn't Howard Stern or uh, firing line from the 70s or 80s where we're trying to embarrass people when they come on the air or debating everything with them to prove them wrong or catch them. It's really to have interesting people and uh, people who contribute in a positive way to our collective life experience like Elizabeth Kaman and uh, you know come up with some in intriguing ideas for the listening audience and uh, you know i can't think of anything uh that could be uh more exciting than the world of social work and uh you know functional medicine and integrative medicine uh you know the, the stuff that we were talking about uh that you might want to get into a little bit on the, on the show and i guess the first thing i like to ask people and again you you answer things within your comfort zone elizabeth so okay. you know, if you, you know if you're not comfortable sharing something, I'm really being serious, uh, you know, because uh, you're a good sport. And I, I love to tease with you. Um, uh, you know, who who is Elizabeth Woodruff? You know, when people listen to these shows, they 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 want to know about people. Who who the yeah. heck are you? Well, right now I'm the girl on your podcast. Yes. Um, but outside of that, um, I am a social worker working for. Uh, pain and wellness program in the area for a local hospital mm -hmm. i'm married i'm from the area i live in binghamton and i just love my dogs that's who i am yeah that's, in a nutshell yes <laughs> and i know i know you have a very uh, sweet husband nick am i correct that's right he's a he's a yeah. lovely guy i always see how how much how cr crazy in love you guys are when i see your Facebook stuff, and it's always very, very sweet. How many dogs do you have? I'm a, I'm a dog lover, and a lot of the people in the in the audience that uh, you know tune in regularly uh, just just are wild about animals. Oh yeah, I have two dogs, and mm -hmm. they're awesome. They're great, Lucy and Henry. Oh, isn't that wild? Now, are they rescue animals? Lucy, we uh, is an American bulldog. We got her from a breeder friend mm -hmm. of ours, but mm -hmm. Henry, we rescued. Yes, mm -hmm. we did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we rescued him as a puppy from down south mm -hmm. and gave him a better life that's wonderful that's wonderful yeah. i wish somebody yeah. would rescue me and give me a better life <laughs> <laughs> i've been waiting 69 years almost for that it just hasn't well i, I laugh because we all treat our dogs some sometimes better than ourselves right so always. i'm always like i want the i want the life my dog has yes yes i agree with you my little my little puppy bernie sanders and our cat that he, he is treated well <laughs> And all the awesome. Trumpites in my, I, I shouldn't say that because I like to stay positive on the thing, but all the, the people who admire Trump and they say, what a cute dog you have. What's his name? And I say, Bernie Sanders. And they say, oh, Bernie. I said, no, Bernie, his real name is Bernie Sanders. I love it. <laughs> you know, but Elizabeth, uh, let me ask you this question. How long have you been a social worker? So I've been a social worker post-grad about a year now. Oh, so wonderful. I'm actually still yeah. very fresh. Yes. Wonderful. Then this yes. is fantastic. Yeah. What made you decide to get into social work? You know, what was you know what was that all about? How did you come to that conclusion that social work was going to be uh, the field for you? Yeah. Um, you know, it's actually it's actually a great story that you're part of. So oh, I. Yeah. So um, to make a long story short, 2005, I was a year and a half outside of high school. I hadn't really decided what I wanted to do, just working. And a friend of mine um, 
had been going to Broome and had to go register for class. And she's like, why don't you come with me? So I went with her. She's like, why don't you register for classes? I'm like, all right, I got nothing better to do today. Mm -hmm. Um, And so began my journey in college. And one of my first classes was an intro psychology course with a Stan Wangland. Oh, my God. (laughs) And I get into this class and this guy is like doing five ten minutes of stand-up first day of class Mm -hmm. um very funny you obviously Mm -hmm. meaning and really just gave me the bug for psychology and looking at the way people think and behave Mm -hmm. and how prevalent that is with our daily life um so i just from that point on was just super interested in that working with with children i was a um paraprofessional for uh, a middle school at the time and so I was working with children with disabilities and um, it kind of just came full circle Um, so from there I went to Binghamton University I transferred over um, got my bachelor's in psychology and integrative neuroscience um, and then decided to stay because you know I was a little bit older so Mm -hmm. and I was working so I decided to stay and do a dual master's program in social work and public administration Um, Tell me more. Pro- I interrupted you. I was, I was just really yeah. Impressed. No, you're you're fine. The process of finding social work was kind of peppered in there as well. Um, I had originally set out to do clinical psychology, um, and kind of throughout school, I started to find that social work had you know the sociological aspect to it that mm-hmm. I really loved about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had, in, and I'm an open book on this, um, and everybody knows that, that I had spent a good number of years in therapy myself, and it had really benefited me, mm-hmm. um, and my therapist uh, was a social worker, so mm-hmm. kind of talking to him and getting to know a little bit more about his profession and realizing how universally um, useful that degree was kind of kind of solidified it for me to say, oh, you can do a lot with this degree, and um, so that's kind of how I started, and it just grew from there. So that's wonderful. That's, very that's a, happy with that. Yeah, amazing, ama- amazing, uh, amazing story. And uh, it, it, I, I'm so pleased that I had some small uh, part in that because it's a, it's a wonderful legacy as a human being when you have wonderful students like yourself that go on and they uh, they just do wonderful things in life, whether it's in the field oh, or not. Oh, thank you. Oh, no, I, it's, uh, if, if you were my wife or uh, my close friends that I talk to and everything, it means everything to me. Uh, That's you know, awesome. To hear that. Oh, oh yes. It's, uh, you know, some people like the cash, some people want awards, but uh, you've always been sweet to me and always had kind things to say when, when you hear that. It, uh, it, it's very wonderful. And, you know, you going into social work is what I always tell uh, most of the students that I've met uh, when I'm teaching psychology. I'll tell them, hey, if you want, really want to work with people, if you really want to do, you know, counseling, if you want to do a lot of other things, uh, you know, don't waste your time with clinical psychology uh, uh-huh. or the other things. Social workers for you, you know, uh-huh. what you want. I, I, I do tell the same people if they're, you know, become a nurse practitioner. Don't waste your time. You know, getting uh, you know, getting your MD, unless you're, yeah. you're looking to do this thing or the other thing. You know, it, it may yeah. be uh, a better thing to do. It's not a lesser position; it just is more focused. Uh, with that in mind, if it's not like getting into anything negative uh, with you, because sometimes people's childhoods uh, or, or earlier years are negative. Yeah. What what kind you know what kind of experiences did you have as a young person 
Oh, no, I, I actually really appreciate this question because um, it is a big part of why I chose social work as mm-hmm. well. Um, I think everybody faces some adversity in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some people seem to have a lot more than others in certain ways. But I think, um, you know, I experienced a lot of loss in a short period of time. I, I lost my father, I don't know if you remember, in 2006. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately lost my mother two years after that. Wow. Um, and, and even as a child, you know, we struggled with money. My parents um, both worked two, three jobs, mm-hmm. um, really worked themselves, uh, unfortunately, until they passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mother had a lot of uh, different medical conditions. And, and so she um, really fought hard to have a functional life uh, with a lot of chronic conditions. So wow. those those things really motivated me more than school, more than, um, you know, work, internships, anything like that. That really was, I think, the driving force, even before I knew it, mm-hmm. um, behind what I wanted to help other people with, right? Looking at people saying, you know, there's so many things we're facing on a daily basis and, and mm-hmm. how are we how are we helping people get through those things? Mm-hmm. And what kind of support do we need? You know, kind of experiencing that um, really just pushed me in that direction to say, you know, how could have things possibly been different um, had someone like me been there to support my mother or myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of just looking at, at what I could have used or what would have been helpful to me. And then along that journey, kind of finding out that everybody needs support in some way. So that mm-hmm. kind of helped shape that perspective for me because, you know, it was hard to grow up as a child and, um, and go through a lot of that at a young age and not be able to conceptualize it and know how to work through it. And, um, I struggled a lot with that and, and, spent many years in therapy correcting and working on that, um, mm-hmm. which was extremely beneficial, but, but kind of drawing on that experience to say, hey, you know, um, how do we use this this uh, adversity and this experience and series of experiences to your benefit? How can you help other people mm-hmm. um, based on what you've gone through? Mm-hmm. So, I, I, yeah, can, I can really identify with that on a number of level, levels. I was talking to somebody the other day. I was actually doing a show on memories. And, uh, you know, I have very positive memories, although I've had a, a lot of very highly negative things happen in my life, but mm-hmm. they prove to be positive in the long run, even though they're negative situations in, in terms of adjusting with things. But in a period from 2005 to 2011, I had my house flooded twice. I lost my mother uh, and my father, and my daughter passed away. Wow. And then, uh, can you imagine? And, yeah. and we were talking about that. And I've actually met people volunteering. Uh, you know, that are in the hospital, because I volunteer with pastoral services in the hospital. I, I don't want to be a psychologist. I, I'm not Billy Graming it with people, but I, I want to just go in there on a spiritual level with people, just totally humanistic uh, with folks. And uh, my point being, I've actually heard worse stories from people. Sure. Yeah, and it's like amazing. Sure. And, and, you know, I have 40 plus years of experience, and so I, I, you'd think you'd seen it all. Yeah. Things. Uh, yeah. But, when you were a kid, do you, did you, do you think that, um, I know I'm very sensitive to this now, and I guess I'm asking, uh, because I think this is good social workers or good psychologists or good healthcare providers, they have a certain soul about them, a certain love of people uh, or situations or, or whatever. I, I, not everybody, but I think lots of people do in the field, and they're drawn to it. 
did you find that maybe you felt your parents or the people that you grew up with or the people in your environment they were marginalized by by society at large people took advantage of them they were uh, if they were blue collar folks or things like that uh -huh. or your parents had to work the friggin death just to make sure. ends meet sure yeah yeah i think um and and learning this over the years i certainly didn't know this when i was growing up but um yeah i think i think economically you know we were definitely struggling and, and mar marginalized in that way you know part of that kind of vulnerability mm -hmm. you know my uh you know my parents you know they built a house they had two kids like mm -hmm. right when the economy was booming you know mm -hmm. mid early to mid 80s and then um you know there was a recession sure, and they kaboom. they stuff they suffered from that and um yeah and so you know kind of seeing that and and they were kind of never really able to get out of that and mm -hmm. so now being an adult i'm kind of drawing on that experience as one thing to look at how people are economically oppressed and mm -hmm. how our system really works against trying to pull people out of that in, oh, in various ways mm -hmm. but um but also you know too just just being able-bodied i think was was a huge thing that i didn't learn until grad school you know i didn't realize those kinds of things um but able-bodied not just in the sense of because i also um had a half sister who mm -hmm. had um some physical disabilities as well so you know i understood that but my mother with her medical conditions and mm -hmm. and even mental health stuff you know i think everybody has some mental unwellness to some degree and i think that affects our ability to be able-bodied mm -hmm. excuse me so to speak so i think in that way too it was kind of a disadvantage especially for them and obviously for myself and my brother mm -hmm. um just to, to have to kind of work within a system where um we just we we didn't get all the opportunities that that I think we may have benefited from. Yeah. Um, but I certainly say you know I say that with a caveat that um, I I did attend Catholic school. My mm -hmm. parents were able to afford that um, mm -hmm. in order to give us a better um, education, mm -hmm. and so I'm very grateful for that. And and also to you know I. I didn't really face any racial oppressions or anything like that sure. and, and i and i do recognize that but you know i was also a female too mm -hmm. um and so you know those kinds of issues have come up as well my mother actually this is a fun factoid about her she was born and raised in england oh, wow. um in, in 1941 so she was actually born during world war ii and her earliest memories are of being very poor um her father i never met her parents but her father was in the british navy so he mm. was never home and just kind of being born into chaos and also being born born into you know being poor um yes. so those were kind of disadvantages too i guess we wouldn't think of it comparatively to today but she had to adjust to a different life you know she essentially was an immigrant in that way too so mm -hmm. kind of facing some of that that i've reflected on over the years that i'm like wow that had to have had an effect in some way you know mm -hmm. um on them and our family too yes you know I, a very yeah. similar thing where i grew up as a kid i grew up in flatbush avenue in brooklyn i mean flatbush avenue in brooklyn and uh, <laughs> in, in an italian and irish neighborhood and the flip side of that oh, was yeah. a jewish neighborhood uh, it was all ethnic, and I will never forget. I think you might remember this from class. I would tell you uh, all my Jewish friends, who I was very, very close with, uh, you know, uh, all the time, 
uh, as people started to get married and everything else like that, you'd meet their families. They didn't have any. Wow. And, and I would say, like, where's your uncles or where's your aunt? Well, they had all been killed in the Holocaust. Oh, so, wow. And, or meeting people, right. you know, in the neighborhood. You go over somebody's house and, you know, they say, yeah, would you like to stay for dinner? And somebody reaches over the table and you're seeing numbers tattooed on them. And I try to explain that to people a lot, of, a lot of times in my posts when I see things like that. And I'm German and Swedish, and I'll always tell them, I'll say, no, you know, I, I don't want to be divisive about people, but uh, I've spoken to people from Germany and say, how could you do that? And people will say, Stanley, don't you understand that anti-Semitism has been alive and well in Europe for 1,100 years, man? Wow. And my point being is these are very poignant things that mm -hmm. affect you uh, in how you view people, uh, whether you're going to be you know, for them, against people, or empathetic with people or not. And I guess the reason uh, I'm asking you or sharing stories with you other than it's just fun, um, what qualities do you think a good social worker has to have? Mm. What, 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 you know, what do you think? You're new in the field, but <laughs> you've been around as a person and you've yeah. had all those paraprofessional jobs which are kind of like the gigs you have to do. Before you sure. get, uh, you know, the first, uh, you know, couple of for real social work jobs. Mm -hmm. um, I bartended too, oh, so yeah. I have to say that's well, then you quite were a, social a life worker. experience. Yeah, and <laughs> a psychologist as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, social workers. You know, I think. I guess this is how I want to say it. I think there's a large number of people in the field of social work where they didn't choose it. I think it chose them. Yes. And, and I think that, and I'm, that can be said for a lot of professions, so I definitely, you know, don't want to be exclusive that way. Mm -hmm. But um, I know that's the case for me. It kind of found its way to me. And I was like, this makes sense. This is exactly where I need to be, and this is exactly what I need to be doing. So I'm mm -hmm. lucky that way. Um, as far as qualities, you know, um, and as you know, with any type of graduate work and undergrad, you have a lot of internships and field work to do. Mm -hmm. So I'm very lucky in that I had great, supervisors I met a lot of great social workers that were you know 40 years 10 years two years mm -hmm. um, and and now working to having the same opportunity in various um, organizations and I, I think empathy 100% empathy and compassion has to be at the forefront of of skills mm -hmm. um, now everybody's different so how that is utilized is very different mm -hmm. but I, I would I would beg to say that if somebody doesn't have empathy or compassion I would be curious as to why they were even in the field to begin with however yeah. to, to each their own um, but those are definitely number one and, and I have to say too that I try to encourage people that aren't social workers to mm -hmm. really buy into some empathy and compassion especially mm -hmm. nowadays but um, definitely those two things and then the ability to look at things objectively and having an open mind mm -hmm. um, which Obviously, you know, education is, is part of this, critical thinking. You mm -hmm. talk about that all the time. I love that. Yes. Um, but open, being, you know, having those open perspectives and, and being willing to listen and being willing to hear and then think critically about what you're hearing is so important, especially in clinical work, because you don't know what somebody's going to throw at you. And it could be something you've heard a hundred times, but you got to think about it in different ways. Mm -hmm. So I would say those are the, the heavy hitters, you know. Mm -hmm. 
uh, you as know, far as sales. Uh, that, what a great answer. And, you know, for, for those, those maybe your friends are listening in, uh, Elizabeth, for the first time to the show. And one, one of the things that I like to do with the show, and it's not going to be edited. Uh, I have yet to, in, in 30 shows, have had to edit anything. Awesome. Uh, it's like having a conversation at a dinner table or, sure. or sitting across the uh, couch from somebody and everybody out there you're invited and I feel like I'm talking to you as well with Elizabeth uh, with things the reason I, I named this show mind body and spirit is because one of the things I always felt that was lacking uh, and in some ways appropriately so the way it, it, that people exercise their right in that area is the spiritual side the spiritual component of people and I'm not talking okay. about, uh, you know, you know, doing a Billy Graham on anybody or fundamental religions or things like that. But people leave out their spirituality. They leave out that connection. Uh -huh. And uh, I was telling somebody today, I've never had a problem uh, blending in spirituality, religion, philosophy, mathematics, uh, the cosmos, science, critical thinking. They're all interrelated. Agreed. And, uh, you know, it's so foolish, this divisiveness. Uh, uh, that sometimes clinicians, uh, you know, get into. And I, th that's why I'm keying off your point about being empathetic. I know when I was in the field for 25 years, I took like a two-year period to reevaluate everything I knew about uh -huh. psychology. And one of the, I think I might have said this in class when we were together, one of the chief things was going back to people like Abraham Maslow and Carl Rogers and unconditional positive regard for people, uh, getting okay. into the, you know, if you if you look at classical Buddhism, for example, man, you could be talking about cognitive behavioral psychology. You wouldn't Absolutely. even know it. And okay. the same with other comparative religions and philosophies, applied philosophy. You know, I've spoken to you, Miranoff, and, and other people from CCNY, uh, Plato, not Prozac fame, uh, those kind of things. So it's uh, okay. amazing stuff. Your empathy thing is uh, really uh, an important thing. Uh, now, in terms of social work, what are you passionate about in, in social work right now? I know you talked about functional or integrative medicine or integrative health care. Okay. Uh, why don't you go on uh, about that a little bit and, and what are your feelings about that? Sure. So, you know, as I had stated before, uh, I think a big motivator for my joy in healthcare, working in healthcare is obviously based on some of my experiences and kind of seeing the, the fragmenting that has been occurring um, in healthcare for far, far too long. But mm -hmm. um, kind of looking at, you know, everybody, everybody has wellness or unwellness. I think when we break it right down to the bottom, that's really what we're looking at. So people utilize the healthcare system to some degree, some more than others, some in a positive way, some in a negative way. Um, so integrating social work into that is kind of taking this broad perspective, this universal profession and bringing it into uh, a, a public service area where um, we need that eclectic, a general type of approach to things where we don't really, we try to not leave any stone unturned, right? right? So kind of looking at it like, you know, everybody's going to get sick or everybody's going to have a need, it, whether it's a broken arm or a chronic condition, you know, everybody's going to infiltrate the healthcare system one day, one way, some way. Mm -hmm. And trying to make sure we're incorporating best practice in there um, and, and utilizing these multidisciplines in the way that is so powerful in a purposeful way, mm -hmm. I think is really important. Mm -hmm. If that answered your question, <laughs> it does because uh, yeah. I've I've always been a big proponent of that, and it's um, it's about 
interrelatedness mm-hmm. between all the fields. And you have to look at the history, I think, of medicine and healthcare and how other people try to treat other people. And, uh, you know, medicine is, is a wonderful profession, but it's based on a paradigm that's artificial. It's, uh, they, they have artificial divisions. Uh, you know, you know, they, they break things apart and they specialize in this area and that area and other areas. And, you know, functional medicine or, you know, functional health care or integrative functional care, I think it breaks that apart. And I think it really looks at how health and disease are integrated, how it's a whole system. You know, that oh, absolutely. all the different things are interrelated. And uh, I, I was so glad to hear that you picked, you know, up on that, uh, you know, as a person early on in the field. That's that's very smart uh, in your area. Now, when you practice uh, social work, you know, you, you like uh, and are looking at the uh, integrated uh, medical model, or I mean, or the integrated healthcare model, do you find that you actually get a chance to use it on a daily basis? Oh, absolutely. So my, my exact role is um, I provide psychotherapy at uh, pain clinic mm-hmm. um so we've so we not only integrated um alternative medicine into this pain clinic but mm-hmm. we also included integrating behavioral health which is a huge passion mm-hmm. of mine and, and a lot of my grad school research was on uh behavioral health integration mm-hmm. mainly in schools but also in uh, mainly in hospitals but also in schools so those were two main things the funny thing about integrative medicine though mm-hmm. and and it's funny because it's becoming this it's a buzzword and people are Absolutely. talking about it mm-hmm. and that's awesome and i'm excited about that it's actually though when i when i was studying this stuff in grad school and, and doing a thesis and all of that um this stuff has been around for decades oh longer than that <laughs> right yeah well, i mean just yeah. on paper right sure. yeah, like i like i'm looking at these these pilot programs that were going on in school for behavioral health integration and and bringing in medication prescribers and then you know um there was a local arthritis clinic who had a clinical psychologist for a few years and then in in the 90s and and looking at all these different times that we kind of dipped our dipped our toe into this integrative model idea and for some reason i I am shocked that it, it wasn't as big then as it was now just because it begets um such positive outcomes over time um but yeah kind of looking at how we integrate not just behavioral health but different modalities into now we're a specialty because we focus on on pain management um which i have to say was not i started out in mental health Mm -hmm. um for the same agency and i came from a psychiatric background um throughout my internships but i would never have picked chronic pain from a hat of course Mm -hmm. but it just being in this role has really opened my eyes to not just how we integrate practice, but how um, integrative people's chronic conditions, disease, trauma, mental health, um, and their their health as a whole, like mind, body, spirit, just sure. like you said, it really exists. So it was mm-hmm. kind of like this missing puzzle for my practice to say, okay, this is exactly what you believe. Liz, and this is this is the best place to introduce that. Like, what better place than when people are feeling physical pain mm-hmm. to talk about um, emotional pain, right? Just as an example. Sure. Yeah. You, you know, it's a funny thing too. Uh, one of the nicest podcasts that I've done, the shows on the power of words, and then my guest I speaker loved was, that yeah, one. It was Joe DeFolvio, and wonderful. You know, you say certain things. Yes, 
and it's a very important show. You, you, you get a lot of bang for the buck in these one-hour shows, including the one that we're doing right now. And you just said something, and it's so funny, and, and you're a big proponent. You say, well, with alternative medicine, it's not alternative. True. <laughs> yeah, no, it very isn't. True. And, and you see, medicine is a guild. It has a license. It's a guild that tries to exclude people. Psychology is a guild, and you know, it, social workers. You, know, you have the different hoops you have to go through. I mean, you could be trained like a uh, blacksmith was trained years ago on a competency-based model, but it's not done that way. You know, right. it, it's it's there to only allow X amount of people in, so the funding stays there. A lot of these um, uh, healthcare, pro- or I think our healthcare programs, are based on profit. They're based on money. Right. They're you know right. they're not based on uh, on common sense. And I'll give you a good example. Uh, if you watch a, a movie, a, a documentary on somebody, let's say shooting a missile off to the moon, the Apollo thing, mm-hmm. what do you mm-hmm. see? You see like fifty consoles, and guys, one guy will be saying electronics, uh, fuel systems, right? Right. Right. Uh, they're not saying uh, you know just engineering. They they also have people you know talking about internal combustion systems or you know guidance systems. They're all integrated to make the damn rocket fly. Now, right. uh, to me, I'll give you a good example and tell me what you think. I, I was having I exercise all the time because I had a stent put in my heart three years. I mean, in my uh, artery three years ago. So I uh-huh. have this kind of radical idea that I'd maybe like to live a little bit longer if I could. And uh, one of the ways to deal with that is to watch more what I eat and, of course, get exercise and everything. So I've always been a very athletic person. But I started to get a little pain in my right knee. And then it got to be quite a bit of pain because I was doing a lot of aerobic activity. So I have a very good nurse practitioner, and she listens to me, and we work together, you know, with certain things, certain procedures I don't want done. uh, That's great. Uh, And she'll say, well, you should. And I'll say, nah, I'm going to be closing in on 70 soon. The risks outweigh the benefits for me. Thank you. Thank you very much. But the first thing I said to her, and she was very supportive for my knee, was not to get a bunch of medicine, but was to go see a PT and then to go see a nutritionist. Beautiful. So that I could get an anti-inflammatory diet. You know, taking that, And, you know, I have some immune system difficulties. I'm light-skinned. Mm-hmm. Uh, my skin is always on fire if I wear a certain kind of shirt. You know, <laughs> I just have allergies and things like that. That doesn't yeah. bode well for those kind of things. Well, no. lo and behold, I, I'm not on those medicines. As a matter of fact, I take maybe one Tylenol a day and, a, wow. and an allergy pill. And I'll, I'll be 69. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I do have a little pain in my knee, but I also make sure that I take a nap if I can at 2 o'clock in the afternoon because some of the medicines I'm on so that I can use the lowest doses. But you get what I'm trying to say. Eat other kinds of things. Uh, You you know, practice uh, some spiritual things where I try to put my mind more at ease, be more, you know, forgiving in life or more optimistic. Because if you have an inflammatory spirit, and I'm not talking like uh, you know know, a mystic, if you're getting yourself fired up, well, you remember the books that I used to tell you to read: why zebras don't get ulcers, because you're firing your, you know, your central nervous system up. They do all kinds of terrible things to you. Sure. So you know the same with sleep. You know, people stay up all day and they sleep late and they I don't feel good. Well, oh, me... sleep is a big one. That's yeah. actually the one of the first questions I will ask a client yeah. is how their sleep is, because um, it's not. It's also not just part of the answer, but it's also part of the 
diagnosis, right? Yes. And figuring out what's going on. How are you sleeping? What's happening when you're laying there for four hours? What's making you get up every four hours? Mm-hmm. When do you eat before bed? You know, um, yes, good point. Yes. Absolutely. So, you know, yeah. that, I'm so glad to hear you say that. And I, I think, uh, you know, that you're, that you, again, I, I think that you're ahead of the game. But I think, again, I think even people who are passionate about this integrated healthcare model, they, they still get shot down or, you know, they're always trying to justify sure. that these other techniques and other disciplines have to be the end all or be all or curative process for everything. And they're not. Mm-hmm. Just like mm-hmm. medicines are not, or just like, Agreed. or you tell people, uh, you know, when I was a, a psychologist early on, this is way before you were even born, uh, you, you know, people would say, yeah, you know, uh, you, you think you can cure schizophrenia with uh, yeah, psychotherapy? Not really. You know, a person may go into, you, you know, remission, mm-hmm. but if it's an organically based problem, you're going to get remission and decompensation. You have to have sure. probably some medication regime attached to that. Those kind mm-hmm. of things, you, need, you know, you need more than one thing. So, who are the who are the people in um, integrative uh, healthcare or integrative medicine that that you like? I know you you mentioned Andrew Wheel was one. Oh yeah, yeah, and, he's and, great. And actually, that's what when when you had said let's do a podcast, I had just listened to. I think he, yeah, it was him on um, you know, on Joe Rogan's podcast, and of mm-hmm. course, I spent two hours like. I agree, yelling at my phone like he could hear me. But I'm like, yes, yes, you know, to all the things he was saying. Another good one, especially working in a pain clinic that um, I've just started getting familiar with is John Sarno oh, yeah. and his and his research on back pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, I just recently went through some pretty debilitating back issues. Mm-hmm. And um, being a psychotherapist myself, I was kind of, circling back around to the same thing and I'm like I've got all this terrible back pain right and um but I know I have all this psychological stress and this Mm -hmm. emotional stress that I'm going through xyz and I know that that's contributing but I just kind of kept circling around that so kind of utilizing some of what he says about you know the lower back holds on to all that grief and emotional uh trauma and stress that we hold that's where it kind of gets all held Mm -hmm. um held up and so and I believe if if I'm not mistaken he had started I think as a physician or a surgeon and he didn't I don't think he did it for very long and then he stopped and mm-hmm. started trying to take the the psychological approach with his patients and felt that he was helping more people that way so I found his stuff very fascinating yeah, you ask, know as well ask any dentist the same thing sure you know, or people having jaw problems uh, problems with their ears problems with Absolutely. their neck problems with their lower neck and stuff like that. Very good stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, and, hey, let me ask you a question. How are you feeling right now on the podcast? How good. are you enjoying yourself? It's, this is great. It's I not, love it. It's not nerve-wracking? Yeah. No. this is. I love talking about this stuff anyways. Well, so this is, yeah, this is always a pleasure for me. Well, do you think you'd like to come back on another show? Because I know that we can't cover, that we've got a good amount of time here, uh, to get on some other things, but you think you'd like to come back and talk some more about this and some other things? Absolutely. Well, sure. Good. I would love to have you uh, on, on the show because this is important stuff. Let me yeah. ask you a question. As you work right now in healthcare, uh, and, and again, don't put yourself out on a limb there. Um, uh, 
you know, with with answering too honestly if you can't. I understand that. But <laughs> no, what, it's okay. But what do you like about the the current healthcare model that you're working in? Is there anything that you like about it? Well, the one that I'm working in is just like I said. I I kind of fell into it and was like, oh, I'm going to try this, and then ended up being like, this is totally where I'm supposed to be. So I have to say, my clinic, my staff, they're amazing people, mm-hmm. and I just watch people make change with patients every day. We, and we do have a very difficult population. Um, there, there are a lot of societal factors that come into play. You know, our um, difficulty with a profit-based healthcare system. I'm trying to be as eloquent as possible with some mm-hmm. of this. Um, but, you know, money in healthcare and, and opiate epidemic. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of challenges to this work. But I see more change um, in my clientele in this role than I did in some mental health um and that's not to offend anybody i think it's just the system we work in healthcare as a whole i have to say working in the healthcare system you know organization state federal however big you want to get with it mm-hmm. um it's it can be very taxing mm-hmm. um especially to someone in the field that's new you know so i come out with these ideas and i'm i i tend to be as you're probably remember very inquisitive and Mm -hmm. not not too afraid to speak my mind and Mm -hmm. i find myself looking at a lot of things going why why are we doing it that way Mm -hmm. what why are we doing it that way there's a better way right but looking at the way that we i I think the biggest thing i take away is is and i'm hoping this is changing um but we kind of treat healthcare and mental health care especially um with this like ad hoc perspective, this after the fact perspective, mm-hmm. we, you know, by the time providers, whether they're practitioners or MDs or chiropractors or psychologists or psychiatrists or social workers, by the time we get some of these patients, they're suffering so much and they're, they've decompensated or their condition has worsened so badly that we're in crisis mode mm-hmm. and, and it costs a lot of money and it's taxing and it's emotional and it's um, stressful for the mm-hmm. patient and the family and the practitioner. So I think that piece of it is, is my biggest motivating factor and also the biggest stress of, of working within a healthcare system that is trying to move to value-based care, but is still very much volume-based. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, it's very much based on productivity and filling slots and billing and reimbursement, um, you know, and, and trying to navigate that in a way where our patients don't feel that that stress, that we're yeah. just getting them and, and trying to get them what they need. But it's so obviously much more complicated than that. But, um, yeah, that's what I think motivates me the most to change it is kind of just really uprooting the whole system and then mm-hmm. like how did we get here i find myself thinking you know i'm 33 years old i obviously have a lot more life to live mm-hmm. um but my i'm like how did we get here with healthcare? i'm just shocked that we're at this point where it's um can be so uh fragmented or siloed i think siloed is a great term that people use because we just pop people from one place to the to the next yeah they used to um, they, we used to warehouse them back in the day when i was first in the field in the very early 70s and before that people were warehoused and then people decided out of guilt uh and transparency to unwarehouse people and to try and do the right thing and then as money dried up uh people became too pragmatic 
about mm-hmm. things, and, and everything became uh, an accounting game. Sure. I mean, that's just sure. my opinion. And, yeah. you know, and you believe that everybody who's unhappy or unhealthy has to change. And you don't, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, kind of asking you as well as making a statement. I mean, that, those are my findings after 45 years. And it, it's certainly not hopeless. As a matter of fact, it's anything but, but it's, it's like a joke that I used to have early on saying, I'm going to write a book. One of them is going to be sometimes you get, have to get a bigger set of pants. And, right. uh, no, you just, you know, everything just yeah. can't be the way that there's the world the way that it is. Mm-hmm. You remember me saying this versus the, yeah. the way oh, that yeah. you want it to be. And people can't always be strong and honest and loving and kind and have insight and all those wonderful things that, you know, whether it's our spouse or our children or our patients or consumers or whoever you want to call them, whatever the buzzword is at the time. Sometimes people are just who they are and they can only do what they can do. And, yeah. You know, we're you know, if we're good human beings, we're there to to support them when they can't do better and and hopefully, you know, light a candle to point them in a direction to do better if they can. And, I agree. And, and, I think No, I'm sorry, that, didn't that mean to cut you off. Yeah, that I think that's a really great point and I think that um I think that's something that I love about social work. I yes. will bring it back to the social workers no, I because I think they're really good at the idea of meeting people where they're at. And I yes. think that that's um, a really powerful tool that is really prevalent in the social work programs. And I don't really know too much about, you know, nursing or uh, mm-hmm. medical school, but I, I think it's something that I do hear other disciplines say, but I'm always like trying to say, and even to myself, right? Someone will come in with X problem and I'm like, well, they need in my head, you know, I'm thinking, well, they need this and they could do this and this would help and this would be great. Mm-hmm. But that, that may not be what they want. That's right. And, and meeting them where they're at is such a powerful thing. So I right. think that's a really good point to make that people are kind of on their own journey. And sometimes our job isn't to completely disrupt that, but just to kind of run alongside them and say, you know, I got some ideas that might help. If you want it, great. And uh, if not, that you know what your options are. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's you a, know, you know, it's uh, one thing that I found. And sometimes I'll look at some of your posts on Facebook, or you, you know, you'll be, you'll get into like a conversation with somebody, or I'll, I'll see other people, and and I, I look at myself years ago, and I, I look at things now, and it's something I found out early. I don't know how you feel about it. Is I mean, I've always believed I could change the world, and I think that I have, and I continue to. But it's my goals have always been one person at a time. I like Even that. if it's been a program with a thousand people in it, if it's if five hundred people instead of one are you know are better, then then great. I'm way ahead of the game. But I'm always looking for just one person at a time. And by the time your career is over, it's like drops of water in a bucket to use a, a you know just a oh, I bet. it's huge. It's overflowing, and you That's say, awesome. "Wow." You have to have that patience to do that. I would say to people, I would say, you know what our job is? Number one, we are the bureaucracy. We have to get in charge of as much as of as much of it as we can. And we're like Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad. We can, if we have good intentions and a, and a realistic skill set, we can get people to where they want to be and need yeah. to be. Don't don't you know? Don't be fighting useless battles and you know you, you know you have to fight sometimes for things. But other mm-hmm. times, you know. Try and get in a position of authority. Try and, and, and lead people by example. Uh, those kinds of things, and, and and get in charge with good intentions if you can, and and try and change it one person at a time. It sounds like you're doing that. What yeah. drives you crazy? What do you dislike in the field? 
I think it's, I think it's, um, I think it's navigating the system. I think from the patient perspective or the consumer's perspective, I see so many barriers to care. And I kind of like that you started the topic off with uh, the discussion with marginalized because mm-hmm. um, that's very prevalent. You know, it's very prevalent in, in healthcare. Um, maybe not the way we see on like social media and, and we don't see it on a daily basis, but looking at, at how people are, are marginalized, especially economically, um, and, and just even by insurance. I mean, the fact that we can dictate what type of care people get, not based on what we think would be best for them, but based on their economic status mm-hmm. is truly asinine. Um, and it's very aggravating for the practitioners. And, and we'd figure out how to work around it, you know, and I've watched some amazing people in my internships and in my job and, and the role before this that really figured out how to swiftly work around things or let go of this issue, you know, kind of have that acceptance piece. And, and I try to always remember that, like, my job is to insulate these people from these barriers to care. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and that really is what powers me every day mm-hmm. because it, it is aggravating <laughs> to deal with yes. the bureaucracy. But I love that you say we are the bureaucracy. We I are. Think em- empowering our staff yes. to feel like, you know, you can recognize that there's something wrong with this. We can figure out a way to work around it. And then we also, this all can coexist. We can also try to figure out what we need to do to change it. Um, and, and at least advocate for it, you know, and, and at least speak out about it. One conversation with one person can lead to three more people and 10 more people and, and just sharing ideas, even on a podcast, yes. you know, but between the two of us and just having these conversations like, wow, I guess I didn't think about it that way. You know, this person brought up a really good point. And, um, that's why I love having discussions about this stuff, because I think, there's a lot of facets to this that people aren't aware of and they don't really realize how difficult this kind of work can be. Oh my um, God. <laughs> and what it, you know, but I, and I, and I still come from the patient perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Cause if I'm burned out, I'm, I'm no good for, to my patients, let That's alone right. myself and my family. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so how do we, you know, we have to figure out, we have to be crafty and trying to figure out how we, we mitigate that and not just, um, you know, in this grand scheme, like you said, you know, we want to change the world. I definitely want to change the world too. And and you're right though, you work with one person and sometimes, you know, it it's not even just working with one person, it's working with one thing, right? Like just one okay. hug or, or one stomach fed that day can be, um, really a link in a, in a very big chain, you know, and, and how we perceive that, like you said, you know, words have power. It's the same thing with thinking. So, so a lot of people feel very empowered when they do one small thing. Mm-hmm. And so we want to capitalize on that. And mm-hmm. then it grows and it grows and it grows. And, and that's essentially what I think we should work towards. But um, yeah, navigating the system is difficult. And I don't know where it's going, <laughs> hopefully in a good place. But um, it, it can be very, very tough some days. You know, working what, the, yeah. you know what's a good thing? Uh, when I see younger people like yourself and I can barely remember but I can remember getting stressed out in programs and everything and then making a decision probably about 35 36 years ago I just had the best job in America and I did but and it's on one of my podcasts and I put it on there just one of the recent ones it's on the eightfold path oh I love that yeah and it's about right thinking right action 
you know, all those things. It's, you know, I just happened to use the Buddhist model with that, but it, it, you wouldn't even know it was from there if I worded it slightly different. It would sure. Be, it would be right out of, you know, a cognitive behavioral or a behaviorist or a philosophical approach or a common sense conventional wisdom approach. It, you've got to have those skills. You've got to develop those skills in yourself so that you can use those clinical skills. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and then you learn how to, to, to adapt to things. I have to tell you a funny story on the money, though. It's just one quick thing. It'll make you feel better. When I was a chief okay. of service years ago uh, at, a, at, the, at a huge developmental center, uh, I had the medical units and uh, the uh, geriatric units. So there's always somebody very sick. So the business officer said to me on one day at, at the executive meeting, he said, hey, you're way over budget uh, in one of your units. And I said, why? And he said, well, the cost for oxygen that's on this unit is crazy. It's skyrocketing. And I said, yeah, I knew every client by name. And I said, this client, this client, this client. I said, they're having congestive uh, heart failure. They have to be on high levels of oxygen and everything else like that. He said, well, the costs are out of sight. I said, well, what can I do? He says, well, you're going to have to think of something. And I said, well, that's really unreasonable. So the next week I came back and I said, uh, I'll just say the guy's name, which was Joe. I won't give you his last name. But I said, Joe, and he was the, the agency's best business officer. He was the sharpest mind. I said, I have a solution to our problem. And he said, what? I said, I've spoken to my psychologist, the psychologist on two of the different services. We've had a planning meeting, and uh, I, we're going to reduce the expenditures by 50%. And he said, oh, Jesus, that's fantastic. How, how are you doing that? I said, well, remember, they're psychologists. We're in the process of teaching the, the, uh, the, the patients to breathe half as much. I'm glad you're laughing. Now, I want, to, I want your audience to hear this. Now, you know that's a joke, don't you? Sure. He, did, he didn't. He, he was serious. He says, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is brilliant. And I, I never use bad language on my show, but I'm going to make an exception with you. I said, what in the fuck is the matter with you? Are you serious? <laughs> I said, you can't, it doesn't matter if it costs a million dollars, right. we can't kill right. anybody. What, right. is, what, are we, what are you thinking? Right, I right. Did you seriously think I went back to the chief psychologist from the University of Constantinople, Constantinople and got him to teach a, a fellow who is developmentally disabled with a cardiac problem to breathe half as much? And that's how crazy the system can get. Sure. I, I thought you might like that, and I had to throw it in. Now, we've got That's a couple funny. minutes left. I've got to end up in, in exactly six minutes here. But what's something that you'd like to accomplish in your career? What's something, a goal that you have? Yeah, I, I, I'm really fascinated by uh, systemic work and macro work. So I would eventually like to... Um, design healthcare systems especially in the psychiatric lens um, and really just kind of work on reforming the way we deliver um, our care to people um, and I'm very I'm very like root you know bottom up so I'm like okay let's get right to the bottom of it dig it out and start over Wonderful. but really but really utilizing the things that we talked about, these, you know, um, I'll, I know you don't like this word, but the alternative methods no. and the, <laughs> but, but <laughs> the, the mainstream alternative, mm -hmm. I guess we could call it, but um, really trying to get and, and trying to get multiple disciplines 
to understand and respect that. And I, and I, uh, and I'm hurrying, but I, I have to say the medical director I work for is fantastic. She is so incredible. She, her modality in our clinic is mind, body, soul. Mm-hmm. And she is just so privy to the power of all of those things combined as, as a treatment modality. And I just think we need more people like her that are willing to look at all these different areas and systems and say, you know, how do we deliver things in, in a more therapeutic and better way, especially with mental wellness and, and just seeing mental wellness become the the highlight and, and where we start and, and just going from there. That was a pretty broad, <laughs> pretty broad answer. But no, yeah, I would love to just I would just love to change the way that we we deliver services. I think we'd see a huge change in society um, as a whole if we could really really fix the system that way. Oh, wonderful! Hey, you know we've yeah. got about we've got about two minutes, and I hope yeah. you enjoyed the the doing the show today. And I really hope you'll come back in a short period of time. And I, you know, I I love to. I, I have a whole bunch of other questions I'd, I'd love to ask you. And uh, it, it's just been wonderful. I do have to say, I hope your friends are listening to this, and I, I hope your family is listening to it, your husband, but uh, or anybody who knows you. But I couldn't be more proud of you. And Thanks, what a wonderful Dan. no, what a wonderful human being you are. It's a wonderful thing about doing podcasts. The beautiful people that you get to know, but how you developed, how intelligent you are, and your compassion, and your empathy, and your intellectual skill set. I'm I'm so impressed. And oh, thank I, you, Stan. Gee, it's a blessing to to have, have intersected with you in, in, in the journey of life. I really mean that. I love it. I couldn't agree first. more. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. I can't wait to to do it again. I hope it was respectful, and I hope you had a chance to uh, to uh, answer the. To the questions completely and everything else like that. I, I think you were just brilliant. And for those people listening again, thank you so much for listening. Um, the whole idea of the podcast is to throw some good stuff out there to you and you pick and choose what may apply to you. And uh, if you like the show, uh, you know, let us know. Uh, you can reach me uh, at uh, Stan Wangland at S-W-A-N-G-L-U-N-D at gmail.com if you'd like to be a guest on the show. Uh, if you have any comments to make, you can also uh, check me out on Facebook, uh, Stanley Wanglin. You can uh, hit my Twitter, uh, that's Stan, uh, Stanley Wanglin, just S, uh, rather, at S Wanglin. Or you can check out some of the stuff I'll be doing on YouTube uh, and everything else. And uh, if you like other podcasts that are uplifting, check out Great Canon with Katie McDonald Blaine, The Spirit, of, Spirit Side with uh, Paul James Caden. Uh, my son does a very interesting uh, podcast called Wrestling with Reality if you're into the offbeat but unusual stuff. And uh, there's just a lot of good people out there. And Elizabeth, thank you again so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. So this is Stan Wangland saying goodnight. And uh, I, I think I can say for both of us, we send out a lot of love and, and good feelings to everybody out there. Have a nice, safe night, everybody. Bye-bye now.